Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Windsor, author and book coach. Today I'm speaking with Catherine May, Sunday Times and New York Times bestselling author of Enchantment. Catherine talks with me today about the challenges of writing a follow-up to her phenomenal bestseller, Wintering, the importance of being open about the constraints and restrictions of publishing, even when you're a very successful author, and why she is now a fierce advocate for her own accessibility needs and boundaries as an autistic writer. We also do a deep dive into Substack, why Catherine loves it so much, and the importance of writers getting paid for their work. Catherine's Substack The Clearing is one of my absolute favorites, and I would very much recommend you go and check it out. The link to it is in the show notes. Not Too Busy to Write is also now on Substack, and I go into the reasons why in this episode. So if you would love to support the podcast or just read more about writing amongst life's many other demands, there is a link in the show notes. That's it for season seven of Not Too Busy to Write, but I won't be away long. I'll be back in your ears in early 2024 for another series. Enjoy the episode. Catherine, it's so wonderful to have you with me today. Thank you so much. It's so nice to talk to you. It's been a little while. It's nice to catch up. It has. It's lovely. <laughs> lovely to see you. Um, I'm going to dive straight into Enchantment, your latest book. Um which in which you're looking about looking at this idea of reawakening and reawakening mm. wonder. Um, and there's something in there that and just as soon as I read it, just immediately struck with me. And and I just desperately needed to ask you this question. <laughs> um, you write in it about this idea of receiving ideas for books, almost like a blueprint, and that you don't invent things. And I am so fascinated by this idea. I've heard other writers talk about it. Did enchantment come to you as a blueprint and then you had to work through it? How did how did that happen? <laughs> well, actually, enchantment is a really bad example of that for me because it didn't. But wintering certainly did and Electricity of Every Living Thing did and the book I'm just beginning now did as well. Um, and every every short story I've ever written has arrived like in a dream. Normally I dream them. Um, and I yeah, I I don't think I know how to invent a book. Like I, I feel like I feel I feel a bit embarrassed about it in lots of ways. You know, I've got no idea how that happens. Um, I just I wait till they arrive. <laughs> I just wait receptively, um, and then of course the work is in like recognizing what is a good idea and what yeah. is complete trash. Plenty of trash ideas arrive too, um, and also then in like developing it. But um, but enchantment is was diff- was really difficult for me because it didn't come like that. I actually mm. I had to like work my way to it by trial and error and I did not enjoy that. <laughs> I really I, I'm gonna wait for the next visitation, thank you very much, because it's much easier. <laughs> well this is really interesting to me and and it sort of makes sense because of what you're writing about, you know, because you're mm. writing about a period of time around lockdown and post lockdown where you were exhausted. And you didn't, you not only didn't feel like flow, ideas were flowing out, but you didn't even feel like they could flow in either. You were, you had even yeah. lost your ability to read. And so, of course, it makes sense that this book was a challenge in itself to write. Um, yeah. So <laughs> your wintering came out just prior to this period. Am I yeah, in fact, right? in, yeah, in the UK it came out like a, I think, I mean, I think like a week or two before the first lockdown. Mm. And so I remember being at the launch party and us saying, like, God, do you think we could actually get locked down? You know, it was it was that point. Um, yeah. And then in America, it came out in the uh, November 
So by then, people, by the time it came out in America, people thought that I'd written it about the pandemic, which was really <laughs> funny. <laughs> yes. Um, because you, because then when you say to them, you realise there's not a single mention of the pandemic in there, they're quite surprised. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was, it was very much a child. And then of course, you know, as you know, by the time you're promoting a new book, your thoughts have turned to writing the next book because it's mm. such a, the gaps are so big because publication takes so long. Um, and so it was a really weird moment to write a book. I mean, there was all the pandemic stuff happening, but also there was the response to wintering, which meant that I was super conscious that that my next book would need to have meaning to people as well somehow, that, that people would be waiting for not me going off on a tangent, which is what I normally do with the next book. I just don't ever write the same thing twice. I'm just like, oh, what genre should I pick now, you know? Um, and I really, I was suddenly conscious that of the discipline of going in and writing the next, the next phase on from wintering. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of those things were very conducive to feeling in, in full flow, honestly. I, I was wondering that as I was reading it, whether or not the success of wintering had, had a part to play in the exhaustion that you felt <laughs> yeah. in every book. Because obviously it's the dream, right? It's the dream for books to be hugely successful. It's life-changing. Obviously you're reaching readers, which is always, you know, one of the points of writing words down and not keeping them entirely to yourself. But there is so much of a giving of yourself in those situations, Mm. in the promotion and in people's expectations of you that um, it brings its own challenges in itself, doesn't it, in terms Mm. of moving on to the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in fact, I uh, I think I think I'm right in saying that the deadline for submitting Enchantment was like February 2022. Mm. Um, and by the time that came around, I hadn't even started it because I'd been doing back to back promotion for wintering since the November. So I, and I remember my editor writing to me saying before I'd even said anything, saying you won't have had time to write a book, will you? And I was like, <gasps> Thank God, no. <laughs> I was just like trying to think of how I was going to explain myself. Um, I, I'd just been doing full-time interviews, essentially. Um, and I really enjoy doing interviews, but also it is, it's very tiring and very draining. Um, and I, I mean, I've just, you know, I've just been through another cycle with enchantment and I come out of the other end feeling really really tired and really foggy um and it's yeah it's not easy it's really hard to talk to it's to aspiring writers about that because it's not (laughs) what people want to hear um and I'd hate to sound graceless but I think I think more broadly it's actually it's really important to acknowledge that whatever whatever constraints and restrictions you have going into the process of publishing a book you will still have if all your dreams come true Mm. and you will still have to make a reckoning with like with what you can and can't do as a human being Mm. um and I think I think those of us who've like crossed over that threshold um need to lead the way in talking about how difficult it can actually be sometimes because there's solidarity in that you know there's we shouldn't be saying well it's just part of the job I've done it so you'll have to do it we should actually be using our position to to critique the the difficulties of that and to to feed that back in 
So yeah, I think uh, there's uh, you know there's like there's like a, a particularly for neurodivergent people like me, there's a political urgency to actually talk about how difficult it can be in in this particular scenario now because there are so many more outlets than there have ever been before who want to talk to you. And if you say yes to everybody, you will get broken very, very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, you're on social media and you've got a very personal relationship with your audience, which nobody would have had before. And it like we've all got to learn to hold simultaneously the idea that your audience are like lovely, lovely people who in any normal circumstance you would totally hang out with. But you can't deal with the sheer number of them. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, that's it's really hard. It is, it is difficult, isn't it? It's that knowing that you have to give of yourself because that's part of the work and it's part of the work of getting your words out into the world, but knowing where those boundaries lie so that you mm. don't get so depleted that you can't actually continue doing the writing work. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting to question that actually, whether you do have to give of yourself because... I wonder how many male writers are thinking that. Oh, I, I guess maybe I give us your time rather than yourself. Maybe that was yes. The, yeah, yeah. No, but it's it's true. I mean, I think I think it's become very gendered labour, and I think yeah. a lot of female authors or female identifying authors are giving of themselves, mm. and I and are performing all kinds of emotional labours. And I see people online making offers like. Is if if anyone if anyone here is upset about this this week, just just DM me, talk to me, and I think, lady, you are making a huge pro- potentially traumatizing promise there that you do not have to make, and I think I, I feel it, and I think loads of other people feel it. This sort of sense of huge responsibility to to take care of absolutely everybody. Mm. And this sort of sense that we are almost filling in for missing, for gaps in service out yeah. there. Um, but in fact, you know, I've I've actually really learned the hard way that it's really not possible and you really have to set some boundaries at some point because you are not social services, you mm. are not a psychologist, you are not a social worker, you are a writer and actually you've offered enough in your book that's mm. all you have to offer and everything on top of that is voluntary and that means you have to curb your your most generous instinct sometimes in order to to survive it i think that's such good advice having written about some topics like you that um, yes exactly. very personally i can definitely definitely relate to that and this idea of when people reach out not wanting them to feel like they're hitting a blank wall like they do everywhere else. Mm. But at the same time, knowing that you need to be careful about your capacity for so many reasons, not least just because you're a human and humans just have limited capacity. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I think that's such, it's such an important thing to talk about. Um, and sort of on that as well, this relates to the other thing I wanted to pick up on, which is quite early on in Enchantment. I loved this story about you talking about meditation and learning to meditate mm. from a man and <laughs> why that that turned out, you realised, not to be such a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, when I learned, I learned transcendental meditation with a brilliant teacher who, and, and, and what he taught me changed my life and has continued to change my life. 
he was very stern about these these rules about like when and how often and how you meditated you know and it was like this it has to be two times a day and it has to be 20 minutes and and there were all these other rules like you mustn't eat before you do it and all this kind of thing like you you know and I remember at the time I remember at the time people in the in the room saying I don't think I can do that for like loads of different reasons you know like I have really low blood sugar in the morning I have you know or like I've got to sort my kids out before school or whatever and and the answer was always the same like no no you have to do it this way (laughs) and I and I and somebody put some a, a much wiser woman than me you know ended up putting their hand up and saying who's looking after your kids while you're doing this and he was like my wife but she loves it it's fine <laughs> and i and I, I you know i totally internalized all that because i didn't have kids myself at the time and i did it really regularly and i and then when my son came along i realized that those rules were absolutely freaking impossible <laughs> like there was there was no way i could follow those rules And so what does that mean to me as a meditator, as someone who's really committed to meditating and who has found it extraordinary? Well, it turns out that you can bend every single one of those damn rules and it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it because, first of all, it spoke spoke to me on so many levels. I think we don't talk enough about this idea of how we have this, we do have this patriarchal view of spirituality. Massively. um, and, And like you mentioned in the book, there is this view that it's women's fault. They get it wrong. They don't mm. do it right. It's their not fault. Not committed enough. Right. Yeah. Um, not committed enough, um, yeah. sort of, you know, and also, you know, going to all these perhaps different ways of accessing these things because yeah. the, the way that men do it isn't accessible to women <laughs> yeah. often. Um, but it really, it actually reminded me of, it was an article a number of years ago um, that, um, and it was it was the, <laughs> The thing for me that kind of was the nail in the coffin for Russell Brand be- long before all this stuff came <laughs> in, was that he he said his wife did all the nappy changing and things and the caring for the young kids <sighs> because he wasn't capable of doing that because he was his mind was always on something much more spiritual and I it made me so angry it made me so I I actually I think I probably threw the magazine it was probably like a you know (laughs) I think I threw it across the room it was so angry because I don't know his his wife I know she is an author I'm sure she does enjoy having kids but I'm sure she also has a spiritual life (laughs) and she certainly (sighs) has a writing life and it's uh, the kind of thing that drives me crazy because you know men are allowed to have a spiritual life when women are often not yeah. allowed to have that, particularly yeah. women who have families, but even um, women who, without without children. Well, I mean, you know, often uh, I mean, like lots of women are in caring roles across the board, aren't they? And 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 it's really common for women to care for their husbands' parents. Let's face it, as they get older, rather than the husband doing it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that points to the dark side of this as well. But you know that these male self-appointed gurus can hand us down these incredibly perfect systems that they are able to follow i mean arguably brand does not follow his own system yeah. <laughs> but, but you There's know a lot of problems there. <laughs> on the face of it that he is able to follow because he can carve out that space for himself and it will be facilitated by the work of women really and truly and not only does that make leave us taking on the inadequacy for ourselves because this in, in, 
impossible dream has been presented to us and we we can't do it and so we feel like we failed which we actually haven't um but we feel like we have but also on the on the darker end of this it creates this system of like patriarchal authority which is so often exploited like it's it's not uncommon for for the you know the allegations to emerge and that's if they emerge at all yeah and I would as I as I like cry for in the book like I think it's time that these spiritual men sat around a woman who has got up in the middle of the night for the last 10 years to tend to a child or a, a disabled relative or, or whatever it is and has done so every night putting aside their own frustration and has gone in that room with love rather than fury mm. and what an incredible spiritual practice that represents yeah. like yeah. it is time for that learning to be reciprocal yeah a hundred percent and and as well in that same vein it, I just felt it relates so closely to writing as well and how you know one of the reasons I started a podcast about writing was because of this frustration of being told I'm supposed to do it a certain way but it was usually men who were talking about doing it a certain way um and and I feel like you know I always wanted to particularly when I took up writing again in my 30s to hear people talking about writing amongst everything else and how mm. it's possible. I think, again, you know, the work of, you know, writers writing about things like deep work, which, you know, is great and and wonderful and everything. But, you know, when deep work becomes something that only people who have absolutely no unpaid responsibilities, <laughs> um, and then it sort, of, yeah. sort of immediately excludes a whole lot of people. Um, yeah. But it's, part of the its relation to writing I think is really interesting because um because often I've I have people say to me well I don't have the time that I think I'm supposed to have I don't have mm, space mm. that I that I'm I'm looking and I'm seeing other people have yeah. um and for me I think it's about you know I, a lot of it is about making do with what you do have and carving out what you yeah. have yeah and setting tiny goals rather than huge ones and like yeah I mean I, do you know what that's why I've always had a difficult relationship with NaNoWriMo which is the is that November that you're supposed to write a 50,000 yeah. word novel in a month and I mean like great you know fine if, if that's something you can do but it is a very particular model of writing which relies on consistent and abundant time yeah. And I just think like it's one invitation in many to make work. Yeah. And for me, writing has always, all through my writing career, been sporadic. I've never been one of those people who's like written every day ever. And I've, I mean, I know other writers who will sit down for a day's writing and, and produce 5,000 words. And I'm here to tell you that I have never once produced even half of that in a single session, you know. And I I just, I think it's really easy to listen to the, again, it's just like the spiritual stuff. Like it's so easy to listen to the people who sound like they have a, a foolproof system mm. and that that system sound is easy to express and sounds perfect. And it just doesn't work in reality. And we internalize the failure rather than mm. saying, I can't, I can't do it this way, this way. So I need to only write when I'm on holiday 
or I need to write like 200 words in my lunch hour of three times a week. And that's like the best I'll ever be able to do. And, and, you know, that's good enough. I mean, I, we just need more kindness in these, in the way we communicate with stuff. Absolutely. And I wanted to talk to you about this idea of play, which is something you write about in Enchantment. Um, and I was really curious because you talk about writing as a form of play for you mm. and something that developed when you were quite young. Um, you then realised that people didn't perhaps see it the same way as you when you were <laughs> poet and everyone at first thought it was cute and then you, as you got older didn't think it was so cute anymore and became mm. a bit ashamed of it and put it away for a while. Mm. I'm, I'm curious about when you took it up again but then when it became paid work and how the idea of paid work and play work together for you now at this point in your career. Yeah, I mean, I I think... I think for me, like it took a very, very long time for it to become paid work, which kind of helped like like for many years, even though I was, you know, published, I still wasn't earning anything significant from it in any way and probably not enough to even cover my travel expenses for books like Electricity. Um, and so the sense that it was play was the only thing that kept me going, really you know that this this isn't i'm not doing this for the money i can't do it for the money because the money's awful um i'm i'm doing this because i'd do it anyway and but that that meant that like all the things in the periphery to that i insisted on getting paid for mm. you know like i can't do everything for free so if you you know, if you want me to then write something for your newspaper about my book, you're going to need to pay me to do it. Because honestly, otherwise, there's just no benefit to me whatsoever. I don't, I don't really care about exposure. I just care about whether I'm going to be able to pay my my rent, like, honestly. Um, so yeah, so that was me for the longest time. And then obviously, wintering did really well. And I mean, like, suddenly, I had enough money coming in more than enough money coming in. And that that really threw me, honestly. That really, really threw me because I I I couldn't like I couldn't connect writing with work. I could, even though my writing was the thing earning me money, I felt like I had to perform work in order to mm. just, like justify it or something. Um, and I really got taken over with answering emails for a long time um and you know and filling my diary up with anything that people ask me to do and it's really it's really very recently that I've thought actually I'm at risk of not being a writer an, an actual writer I'm at risk of being a writer with a capital W out in public mm. but I'm at risk of not of being a writer who doesn't write and so I've really gone back into practice really, really, really carefully and deliberately carved up, carved up time. And I've kept reminding myself that actually my career is founded on my creative work and not my administrative work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, you see, I, I, um, I hire a lot of people to support me behind the scenes um, so I'm not rich because I, I'd actually rather make space to do the work and pay people to do all the other stuff that people ask me to do. And so 
that works. I'm really happy with that. Like I, you know, I'm not really interested in a bigger house or a fancy car. So, and I only like Birkenstocks. You only need one pair of Birkenstocks in your life anyway. So, um, <laughs> so that's kind of fine by me. That's how I, I do it really. And, and so I make sure that there's space to actually write and, and to do all the slow stuff that happens around that, to read, to think, to nap sometimes. Um, that that space is ring thinks for me now. Yeah. And actually, and on that note, I um, <clears throat> the back and forth I had with your PA about, about today <laughs> was so brilliant. Honestly, they're a dream to deal with. They're an absolute dream to deal with. It is so great. Everything is so clear. Everything is so clear. I got given a list of times that you're available for interviews. <laughs> But there was enough that there was plenty of choice. But at the same time, it was just super, super clear. It made me so happy for you that you had somebody doing this for you. Oh, and that yeah. I could see that the times I was given, there was plenty of time left for your for your deep, proper, you know, work. <laughs> proper work. This is, the, you know, peripheral work for you. Um, and it made me really happy. It made me really happy. And um, <laughs> And and in fact, or, uh, and let's talk about that for a second because the other thing that um, that um, I was sent when we booked this in was um, was a language guide and accommodations yes. list, and that made me so happy to receive that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's let's talk about that and and oh, how yeah. that came about for you because I think this is something <laughs> that that authors could really learn from to, mm. to to think about doing if they think this is necessary for them when they're doing lots of promotional work. Yeah, so I'm autistic and um it you know, my book Electricity of Every Living Thing, I really wish it wasn't such a long title. It's so hard to say. <laughs> it was even if it was worse when I was on Twitter, because if you wrote Electricity of Every Living Thing, it filled up nearly like a whole week. Anyway. <laughs> <sighs> Regrets <laughs> of you. Um but yeah, so you know, I've and I've written about being autistic, which means that um it's much easier for me to <clears throat> talk about my my sort of needs in public so that so that's it it kind of helps but i what i found i found lots of things one was that many of the circumstances that i was asked to work in were just not helpful for me and were actually meaning that i was more tired than uh than i could have been if i could have just done things my way but also i didn't it was exhausting to keep explaining and to keep asking. And I, and like on a sort of political level, I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to ask for people's permission to cope. I wanted to tell them what I needed on a basic level. And like, honestly, take it, take it or leave it because it, I, I can't be harmed by the process of, of taking part in this. It's not reasonable. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think also, like on the flip side, I wanted, I noticed that people felt uncomfortable with the language. They weren't certain about the language and I totally understood that. So I wanted to give them permission to say the word autism. You know, I noticed so many people said, rather than saying you're autistic, which is absolutely correct as far as I'm concerned, they were saying, oh, so um, you find yourself somewhere on the, um, well, uh, mm, neurodivergent spectrum, maybe, you know, and you're like, it's okay. A lot of words. I, a lot of words. <laughs> you can just say autistic. Yeah. Breathe. You know, <laughs> breathe. It's fine. But I, I get that because I know I've got into like language cul-de-sacs with people whose words I don't fully understand. So for all of those reasons, I wanted to create a guide. And so now, if you book me for anything, 
you get my very detailed language and accommodations guide that like on one hand says, here's how you can talk about it, but please don't say, please don't talk about it like this because I will, I mean, because I will correct you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I love it because you give this example of <clears throat> the way you prefer it, your um, autism to be referred to in, but you're very clear at the beginning, this is how you yeah, like, refer yeah. this is you, it's personal, yeah. other people might feel differently, which is great because mm-hmm. not everyone's necessarily going to necessarily understand that if they're, yeah. um, if they haven't had much experience. And the and then you give a couple of examples of what is not okay, and I thought that was really really helpful um, because they're all the same things that I would say about my son as well. If anyone was yeah, yeah, yeah. going to my son, so um, although I was familiar with all this, obviously you're dealing with people all the time who don't feel comfortable with that language. So super yeah. helpful. Yeah, but, and um, who and also who don't bother to read it. I think it's I think it's probably worth saying that there are people who don't read it um yeah I'm sure that yeah it's inevitable so it's not it's not a cure-all yeah not a cure-all but I think I love this idea that um that actually you know writers can just be clear about Mm. their accessibility needs um and it's a host I found it incredibly freeing in a way to receive both your boundaries around when you're available time-wise but also around language um and any other questions I might have about about the process because I know that for instance you know you were clear that you don't need to get questions in advance yeah but, but no but yeah. you know there might actually be some authors out there for accessibility reasons they they actually do, need do. give yeah. a good idea about what the questions are and so for me as a host that was really clear and great for me mm. so it was actually helpful to receive rather than that's the plan <laughs> I just wanted to bring it up because I just thought this is such a nice thing to talk about because there are lots of disabled writers and neurodivergent writers Mm. um, who maybe haven't felt able to do that yet. Um, And I think it's, it's really nice to see it being done. And yeah, I I mean, I, you know, the, the plan was just simply clarity, honestly. Um, But I, I know, you know, from when I've talked to my, audience about this that a lot of people will say well I you can do that but I can't mm. and and what I would say to that is that that I mean that that may not be the case actually that that in fact I mean you're you're entitled under law to express this in fact so and I get that that the law is not you know it's not the end all but actually you are entitled to express this and you would be surprised how it's received because yeah. people just don't have you know like if whatever whatever it is you carry you have an in-depth understanding of that and people other people don't and that's completely reasonable and most good people are happy to be informed about it um but also I would say that I can I can see how early in your career um you might not want to rock the boat at all you might want to just look ultra accommodating and I I get that, you know, I've I've absolutely been through that fa- phase and I've wanted people to just see me as an easy prospect rather than complicating it at all. But that makes my responsibility as someone further along the path double to yeah. express that, yeah, actually. Yeah. And to, you know, yes, to 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 lead on that front. Um and I've only had one person that was really pissed off by it. Interesting. And uh, yeah. yeah, an older male professor. Uh huh. That's not surprising. 
And he came back and questioned all of it. Well, I've met another autistic person who says they're a person with autism. It's like, lovely. Nice. <laughs> oh, well done, you know. Um, so, yeah. but that's fine. I mean, and 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 I'm learning all the time, actually, to, I mean, I now, I back out of stuff where the, where the vibe like that is off. Yeah. Simple yeah. as that. But, the, but again, I can, because yeah. I have an overabundance of offers. And so I'm really happy to cancel. I'm like, great. There's a thing I don't have to do. Yeah. Um, but I've, I'm learning, I'm learning to say, I don't think this is right for me. Thanks so much for the opportunity, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to not do this. Um, and, and what I would say to the people that are thinking I'll never be able to do that is I wish I'd done it sooner. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're so right about, you know, when people are at a certain point in their career, um, almost having, if they're able to, having a duty mm-hmm. to kind of do it to yeah. show people who are following up behind in terms of, yeah. you know, where they're at their career um, to show what's possible. Um, and I would emphasize again, this was helpful for me as a host. So anyone out there who is, you know, whose who's debut is coming out and you're pitching to people, it was actually helpful to know what the boundaries were. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so well, don't it's, it's actually, it's annoying. a talking point, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite often people have wanted to talk about it actually, and I'm always happy to. But, it, but, you know, it's really only me saying um, I would be intensely uncomfortable if I had to do this. And, and most of the things that are on that list, I have experienced, you know, like I, like doing a radio interview where they asked me to have a feed in one of my ears, uh, like with completely different sound to what was going on. And I, I can't I can't talk if that's happening. Like I, I can't I can't have a conversation if the radio's on. I can't read a recipe book if the radio's on. So. I'm not going to be able to appear on national radio with like a feed in my ear. It's just, it's actually really important that everybody knows that I have limitations. Um, and I, and yeah, as I say, like it's, it's received really well by the right people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, about how your work is now. Um, you're obviously you're writing books. You have an incredible podcast. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes as well for this podcast, which is so wonderful. Um, and you've got your Substack. You also obviously write essays for various different places. Um, but so there's, you know, lots of different elements to your writing career, but I wanted to talk to you specifically about Substack and has that become a place where you've been able to pull quite a few things together is it is it yeah help streamline some of that community aspects that you were doing before in different places yeah def I mean 100% and I it's funny because like I began life as a blogger and then that you know that sort of whole thing died off really um and I and actually Substack is feels to me like a lovely return to that space of being able to talk at more length about things and to create community, build community and facilitate it rather than just shouting into the void all the time and to talk about complexity and nuance rather than like trying to make everything pithy. Um, And I, yeah, I mean, I left Facebook years ago. I left Twitter last year or about a year ago. I really, I really got to a place where I felt scattered to the four winds mm. um, and that I was doing so many different things and that I was just dreading all of them. I was just really dreading them. Um, and so actually, 
I've I've now kind of I've sort of integrated my podcast into Substack. I wanted everywhere everything to feel like it emanated from there. Yeah. Um and I've I'm actually I'm cutting down the number of podcast episodes I'm doing because it, it was just getting too much. And I I think one of the things we don't talk about enough is that all of these things come at a cost as well. You know, even a I mean my podcast is reasonably successful. It's not a blockbuster, but it does okay. Um, it does not pay for itself in advertising. And it's so hard to get that across. Like people, people assume that if you're running advertising on your podcast, you're like doing really well. It's like, mm. no, it doesn't cover its costs outside of the Substack audience who fund everything now from my, from my sort of paid for offer. Um, and yeah, I just, I kind of, I kind of am, I'm drawing back from many years of being a writer who was trying very hard not to be invisible. And I'm realizing that, that, that I'm, you know, that I don't know that that was really exhausting and really, really hard. And that actually less is, less is more, Yeah, you know, like trying to be everything to all people all the time just made me really tired yeah and I can't I just don't I don't want to do it anymore I think as well I, I think we've somehow became become used to this idea of of authors being available to us like oh, available yeah but actually what we need them to do is and I want to sometimes shout and like just go sit and write and I'll read your book yeah. next year because I'm, I'm I love your books and I just want I just want you to go and sit and write because that availability comes at a massive cost. It comes at such a huge cost. And I, I've thought about this a lot because I really, um, I did my Substack for free for ages and there's still loads of it that is free. But I re- when, I, when I joined Substack, I said on Twitter, this will never be paid. <laughs> I made that, that rash promise. And that was because, and I really, I really began to think about the fact that I felt that I needed to say that, like I needed to reassure people that I was going to give the best of my work to them for nothing. And I, when I, yeah, beginning as a blogger, I think I was really taught very badly that my work had to be free to be valuable Mm. and that my audience would abandon me if I tried to charge for anything and that I had to be available in all places at all times all through the year and that I had to have an opinion on everything Mm. you know that I had to be seen to make a like a grand Bono-like statement about everything and I look around me at the you know there's there's like a you know you have your like cohort of authors and I'm still friends with loads of the people that we were all blogging at the you know at the turn of the I don't know just after the turn of the uh, millennium my goodness um but but maybe a bit later than that too and we were impoverished by it yeah we were I mean genuinely impoverished by that attitude by that ingrained belief by how much time that stuff took up and the fact that we funded it rather than it making any money yeah and I think people and I think we see this in podcasting too now like I think people at best lied a lot but may or at worst lied a lot about how many people were following them and how much they were making and how successful they were 
but often also like on a on, on a gentler level like just concealed it that's what I that's what we were all doing I was definitely doing that like just trying to make it look like it was okay yeah um and you know like maybe running ads by Google in the sidebar that were, you know, and I looked into that and realised it was going to net me about £4 a month. And it was just, it, 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 it was so dysfunctional. And all it did was create this generation of writers who couldn't afford, like literally couldn't afford to live. Yeah. And it really affected their mental health. And there's a brilliant substack by Kerry Stainton, who is one of my old buds, um, called The Ladybird Purse, which is really about ultimately the, uh, you know, she's published several books with mainstream publishers. She's always had a successful blog. It's about how impoverishing that has been for her and how mm-hmm. and what a, a terrible financial situation she's ultimately landed in and, and like coming to think about money in a different way. Yeah. Um and I and like I I'd urge everyone to read that who's well, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. So but writers need to talk about money. It's we, so we need important. it's such an important topic. And in fact, I've recently I've been meaning to for the whole year switch my I've been writing my newsletter for four years now and I've been oh, meaning yeah. this year to switch it to Substack and I just kept putting it off because well quite frankly I was writing a book I had other things to do <laughs> you're a busy but, lady <laughs> you're a busy okay. girl um but um but I've finally done it I finally now just oh yay I've switched over um I will continue to keep what was I guess my initial newsletter free but I will do some other paid things Part of it was, you know, what broke the, the camel's back for me actually <laughs> was the recent addition of audiobooks to Spotify and my book uh... available for free on Spotify. I think actually that <sighs> was the last straw yeah. where I was like, okay, so I do a podcast, which I love doing. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't pay for itself, obviously, but there's so many reasons I do it. And obviously, yeah. I've just taken a six month break so that I could write a book. This is you know, how I make it work, where I take breaks when necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I keep the series short. But but when I could see an organization like Spotify, which is making so much money from artists, it's made it's ruining it's ruined music yeah. essentially. And yeah. now it's going to make it even harder for writers to earn money. Um and I just sort of thought, you know what, I can't I just there has to be some boundaries about it. Yeah. Um yeah. so I'm going to have my you know, there will be newsletters available for free for free subscribers, but there will be other things that will link to this podcast that will be paid for. Um, and I just Good think for you, it like a, a kind of like you're saying about um, doing it when you can, when other writers earlier in their career can't. And mm. it just feels like a line now that I'm going to draw of this is my yeah. free content for people who need it. And this is my quite inexpensive content for people who perhaps yeah. can't afford a book coach but could afford a small amount per month to get some access yeah um yeah and yeah but it's a really tricky decision it is and it isn't right I found it tricky and and now I kind of don't because I think that you know every now and then I get someone emailing me kind of complaining at me that they wanted to read something of mine and it is not free and here's the thing before you complain that my work isn't free, go and walk into John Lewis and complain to them that none of the products on their shelf aren't free. That would seem totally unreasonable to do. But actually, I'm doing the same thing. Like like John Lewis, I'm not providing a necessity. You know, I, I you might really enjoy my work, but I'm not providing anything that you couldn't live without. Mm. Also, 
I produce, I still produce a ton of free work all over the place on Instagram, on Substack. My podcast is free to listen to. You can grumble at me about the ads all you like, but I like, I'm past caring about that. (laughs) Um, And you can read the best of my work, which is my books for free from any library. Yeah. So there is so much of me that you could have for free and also I do loads of interviews with other yeah, I was going to say this, this podcast <laughs> people are getting some something from you today I mean if you put my name into Google you could probably read or listen to solely me god forbid that you do that please don't put yourself through that but, <laughs> but for days you know for days and days and days and days there is plenty of me out there available to everyone and I'm really happy to give that generously but now I'm keeping some of it back for the people that can afford to pay for it because I need to make a living too and I need to make a consistent living. But at the same time, I regularly give away free subscriptions to my Substack for the people who need it because I totally acknowledge that not that you know it's not the same as saying I, I hate it when people say oh, if you've bought a cup of coffee this month, you could have afforded to subscribe to my Substack. Like I'm having none of that. I don't like that. I don't think everyone can afford it. And so I give I give free free subscriptions away as well. So, and I rely on people's and, honesty. And someone, who, who, someone who reads your <laughs> Substack, Catherine, your Substack gives the most incredible value. I pay for actually, I don't know how many now, a number. I pay yeah, for a handful. I pay for quite a few. Now, yeah. um, and <laughs> I think yours is the absolute first one I think of in terms of value. Oh, that's so nice. Thank Honestly, you. Honestly, there's I'm some so of the conversations. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, well, let's just plug your subset for a second because you do <laughs> have some really incredible um, things that happen within there that makes it a proper community, which is mm. what I really love about it, which, which it, the, the value is so high. Um, everyone go check it out because it is absolutely <laughs> um That whole whole conversation that you had on, um, that you hosted about, um, about self-promotion as a writer, I thought was so impactful. Um, It just, the value is incredible. So nobody, (laughs) go visit Catherine. I'll put the link in the show. But it's very sweet of you. (laughs) But but yeah, I mean, I like, uh, I think we all got, we've all been really tangled up in it, but actually I just, I just want people to to really understand that none of this happens for free. Yeah. And and in addition, like I hire an editor who looks after my newsletter, who makes sure I don't talk complete shit and corrects my spelling and makes sure it goes out on time because I, I can't do dates. And so if I set the scheduling, it will come out in like 1970 or something. I just, <laughs> I cannot do it. So, I, you know. And I hire a social media person to to kind of get it out there on Instagram, and I have my pub, I have my um, P, uh, PA, sorry, not my publicist, my my PA who looks after everything, all my bookings. Like actually, I really make sure that I have a, I look after my team as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I'm like, this is an industry, and everybody deserves to be paid properly within that. Yeah. And I, yeah. I respect those people that work on it too. It is it's work, and it I and it's beautiful. lovely work, but it's work. <laughs> uh, it's funny I, because I spent so many years as a photographer, and I yeah. went. I was when I was an assistant when I started in two thousand, way back. Um, everyone's still on film, so all of my assisting days was on film, 
Um, and then as I switched to become a photographer mm. in 2006, that's when I switched to digital. And that was the point at which everyone was switching to digital. Yeah. And something, it, there was, I mean, I cannot emphasize enough the shift that happened at that point right. that photographers used to make a good living. And it is very, very difficult to make a living now. Yeah. Um, the amount of money we used to have in our budgets to cover film and to cover processing, to cover printing. And now mm. the photographer is expected to do that themselves single-handedly um, and also fund all the equipment to make that happen yeah. as well. It is such a seismic shift. There is such a massive devaluation in imagery um, and that everyone, I think, thinks because there's more images than ever, that means there's yeah. work, but there isn't. It's actually the opposite. It was, it's been massively devalued. And in yeah. some ways, writing has become the same. People don't really want to pay for words. Um, mm. It's sort of nothing that makes me more upset than people complaining about paywalls on Twitter when I sort of think, do you yeah. want journalists or do you not want journalists? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It doesn't, I mean, it just doesn't get generated for free. It just doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. And I think and, and really advertising does not pay for it. I think that's the main thing. That's the main myth. It doesn't yeah. cover hardly anything. Yeah, it doesn't. And I think, you know, if we want to live in a world that that has investigative journalism, if we uh. want to live in a world with books, <laughs> you know, yeah. where, there's, where work <laughs> yeah. is, is deep and thoughtful and yeah. um, then we need to pay for that work. Um, but, yeah, so the, one of the things when I started working as a writing coach that I made the decision to charge quite a bit for my writing coaching in yeah. order for me to be able to have grant places. And yeah. so for me, yeah, that's how yeah. I did it. Rather than charging less to make it yeah. more accessible, I charge a bit more and then I give some completely for free away to low-income yeah. writers. And that was the way in my head I could make it work, both for me to get paid properly, but also to feel like I was making it not impossible for the yeah. writers we actually need to get the help they need to get published. Completely. I think that's right. And I think um like it's you can afford to be generous because you're you're okay. Like if you're not okay, you can't afford to be generous. Yeah. And I mean I, I suppose what I'd say to like your your lovely listeners who may be thinking of starting a substack themselves and wondering if like we can charge because we're further down the line. I actually, I actually would turn that on its head and say the best substacks are the ones that are super focused on a really cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the one, I mean, I'm thinking about, oh, I mean, I have so many favorites, but I mean, Keris's uh, Ladybird Purse is just brilliant. It's super focused on creative women and money, and I cannot get enough of it. Um, I, and there's one that I read that's just about the moon and it's by Will Dowd and it's just lovely it's called the Lunar Dispatch it, he does one a month because that's the other thing I think we often feel like we've got to over offer I always over offer because I just can't shut up but um I think you know I think we often think we've got to offer that, that value comes in in like the quantity we offer whereas he does one beautiful newsletter a month and I would pay any amount of money to read it because it's gorgeous and life-affirming and I love it um, oh, there's there's just loads more, but but I think like if you go out there and you offer the thing that you know loads about and that you're passionate about, like write about the subject of your book rather than writing about writing your book necessarily, because there's lots of people doing that already, like you. And like if you're not an established writer, that's that's not your point of strength. 
you know, it might be you might be very good at it, but it's not what people are looking for from you. Yeah. If you tell them, yeah, yeah, if you're t- telling them something that you know deeply and that you love and that you that you could geek out about forever, people will pay you to write that because it's interesting. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that opportunity has never existed before for you to meet your readership so directly and to actually begin to make a living from it that can help to support all the stuff you do. Mm. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much, Catherine. I could go on and on, but let's not. <laughs> let's it in because we have been. <laughs> I know, sorry. <laughs> I love talking I about this stuff. Because really, we, like, we're all dealing with these nuts and bolts of, the profession all the time and you often have to sort of hide them like then they're, they're not part of the mystique <laughs> honestly it's so important I mean I'm I'm so excited to to dive into Ladybird's Purse thank you so much for that recommendation you'll love it you'll love it that. <laughs> but, um thank you so much um Enchantment is just so incredibly beautiful such a beautiful book I have on the mind so many things um <laughs> sorry if that horrifies you are you a no person? I love it no oh, I love it you. I love it okay because I am really a, I, I'm a terrible defacer of books um oh yeah good you know in terms of you know passionately <laughs> defacing not <laughs> oh I mean mine are always covered in coffee rings so I you're the last person to offend me honestly <laughs> I treat books like trash I really do <laughs> Well, thank you so much. And um, so I will put in the show notes your um your subsect is probably a good place for people to kind of Yes, that's my that's definitely my hub where um where everything comes out of and, and there's plenty there for people who can afford to pay and plenty there for people who can't afford to pay. It's you're welcome either way. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. It's been so <laughs> lovely to chat. Thank you. It's been really nice to talk. Mm-hmm.